As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stayskull, joined as always by my friend and colleague Paul Tenorio. And Paul, I just have one question for you to start this show, my friend. Who's your favorite Mighty Ducks character? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think that I am probably a big fan of um, the Bash Brothers. I know that's two characters, and eventually three. Yeah, actually, you can you can merge them. You can actually, merge them together. it becomes three, yeah. as you know, in Mighty Ducks. 2. Of course, yes. Yeah, D two. Uh, but uh, yeah, D two, the Mighty Ducks. Um, yeah, the best which, Mighty Duck movie. You know, by the way. has so many great moments that we could talk. I mean, the Knuckle Puck. But yeah, the Bash, the Knuckle the Bash Puck, Brothers yeah. for sure. I think those. That's my favorite. Those are my favorite characters. Okay. Yeah. Pretty good answer. Um, I ask because I was just thinking about Gunnar Stahl. Uh, more on that later. Probably not more on that later. Anyway, we have a we have a, a regular show despite this weird intro. Um, we have we have an interesting show. We're going to talk about Luis Suarez and the move to MLS that was not, and kind of how a saga like that emerges, takes over our little corner of the internet for a few days. Um, how that smoke kind of billows out of control, even when there's not really necessarily any fire. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about MLS expansion. It's now, you know, way past the target date that Don Garber had set for admitting team number 30 into the league. Uh, we're going to explore a little bit of our theories about why that is and how things might be changing on that on that front. And then we'll get into, you know, one of our favorite topics, Paul. And I don't know if it's really a favorite, but it's certainly one that we keep talking about. And that's U.S. Men's National Team Strikers. We do have some news on that front. Josie Altidore. Going to Puebla on loan in Liga MX, he's going to try to become the third player on a U.S. team. Three consecutive World Cups for the U.S. to have a Puebla player. He's going to try to make it three in a row. Herc Gomez did it in 2010 when he was at the club. Demarcus Beasley in 2014 on the U.S. team as a Puebla player. So Josie's going to try and make it three in a row. Long odds, I think, at this point, it's fair to say. But he's going to get an opportunity to play, which is probably more than he was getting in New England. So we'll dive into that, as well as some other strikers who will be getting their European season started very soon. But first, Paul, let's talk about this Luis Suarez news. You found yourself in the center of, um, I I think you're a Uruguayan celebrity now. 
So I, I, I certainly am. It it was like Sam. I'm just gonna butt <laughs> in here because obviously what happened was there Please. was there were rumors that Luis Suarez was gonna sign an MLS, and then it became strong LAFC. strong rumors that it was gonna be LAFC. And you know, typically when I and I think you feel the same way, when these links happen, I don't really knock them down. Usually I don't like make call I make calls to make sure that we're not missing that it's happening. But then I I don't always feel a need to tweet that it's not happening, right? Like once you learn, okay, there's nothing real to this because it happens so often in Major League Soccer that big names get linked to MLS in order to drive interest elsewhere. I mean, we saw it, we've seen it a lot this offseason. Jesse Lingard was a, a name who was being shopped around MLS heavily and then ended up signing back in the Premier League. Obviously, now we have another example in Luis Suarez. But, you know, this was getting so out of control there was so much buzz around LAFC and it was like, people were like, it's imminent. There were, you know, TV, uh, Taylor Twelman was teasing it. These aren't just regular, like these are, yeah, these are big people in our, in our space. Right. And so I, I made some calls to multiple sources and I felt very confident once I had multiple sources saying there's just no truth to it. Like, all right, I'm going to knock this down. And I thought like, okay, it'll be, you know, a couple retweets it'll like it'll help quell that rumor and it'll move on to the next team right no that's not what happened i tweeted it out (laughs) it had 600 retweets 1400 likes and my dms started that's a lot for those of you who who aren't on twitter it's a lot and and then my dms started to fill up with fans of uruguay's nacional which is his boy, which is Luis Suarez's boyhood club, and what I what I there was a whole viral campaign to get him to Nacional. Right, what, a Suarez week or two ago. Nacional was the hashtag, and and so immediately upon like the tweet starting to blow up, I get a message from Felipe Cardenas, our colleague, and um, I get a text from Michele, and both of them Giannone from Turene, and both of them are like, "You just made yourself into a hero. You just gave hope." to an entire country. <laughs> and I like laughed because I hadn't looked at Twitter and I went back and looked at Twitter and it was like racking up and I was like, oh my gosh. And that's what it was. It was hundreds <laughs> and hundreds of Nacional fans flooding my mentions because they were psyched that this meant that they had a chance. And a couple hours later, it got announced that Suarez was going to Nacional. But yes, it was yeah. like the event in Uruguay. It was the news story in Uruguay. Everyone was following every update. And, you know, it just kind of added a whole other level to this otherwise innocuous and normal link between a big name star and Major League Soccer. We we added some more reporting in between that tweet and the announcement that Suarez made about joining Nacional about the Seattle Sounders holding his MLS discovery rights which was fun in itself. Didn't go nearly as viral as the first one. Um, but it didn't. But not, we though. did get a lot of we did get a lot of people from Uruguay being like, "What the hell is a discovery?" Sam, right. Two hundred and sixty <laughs> retweets, three hundred and thirty-three likes on that one, just on the discovery there you rights. Go. And most of them are national fans being like, like the quote tweets are like, "What does this mean? Is it is he going to Seattle?" <laughs> like they no clue what discovery rights are or w- what purpose they serve, which we know is you know. Uh, uh, a purpose that no longer really truly needs to be served anyway, but uh, well, certainly I mean, I confused. Think, I think we do need to give, I think we do need 
to give credit to Brian Schmetzer and Garth Lagerway for being there when when your Luis Suarez was 13 years old and tearing it up on the fields and in Uruguay for discovering him. It was and, an important and discovery. To get that deal done all these years later. Um, of course, Sounders star Nico Ladero and Luis Suarez are friends, dating back to their days together in Uruguay and at, and at Ajax as well. They moved over there together. Um, so that's where that relationship sort of came in. But I, I do want to spend some time here to just talk about kind of the, I don't know, is the anatomy the right word? Probably not. Just kind of the, how these things happen. Because from what I understand and what you understand, you shot down the LAFC links, you know, Seattle, they, they spoke to Suarez's camp. Um, but, you know, they have three designated players. That's the league limit. <laughs> if he was going to go there, something weird would have had to happen. Or he would have had to take a, a huge, massive pay cut in a Gareth Bale-style deal. And apparently he was not interested in that. We've heard different numbers, but he would have been, had he come to MLS, he would have been looking to come become one of the highest paid players in the league. Uh, I think I put it to you this way, so Sam. See, Sorry. I, I, he, he was looking for a yeah, Shakiri, no, no, please. He was looking for a Shakiri-like deal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is about, what, Shakiri seven, on? Seven, seven and, and a half, half eight and a half. Dollars, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he would have been way, way, way up there. Understandably so. Uh, Seattle couldn't make that happen. So they were like, okay, cool. Like, if you want to come and take a million bucks, like, we're happy to have you. But we can't do a DP deal for you because we're at our limit. They held the discovery rights. So any team that was interested in him would have had to get his discovery rights for $50,000 in general allocation money from the Sounders. And from what I understand, and this is a little bit, you know, it's not quite as locked down, but... No one really even approached Seattle about starting that process. They don't have to, in theory. They can go through the league and all of that. But um, I don't think there was anyone else that was that far along. So if no one was really that far along, how does something like this spin so out of control, Paul? I ask you, how does it go crazy like this? And why does it go crazy like this? Well, I think in this case, I feel like part of the reason why is because he talked to so many, his, his representatives talked to so many different teams. And so, you know, I, I had a couple different people that I spoke to at different teams saying, yeah, yeah, we, we touched base with them as did 15 other teams, but we don't have the cap space or we don't have a DP slot or whatever. So when you, when you're getting shopped around to that many teams, that's going to lead to leaks. Oh yeah. They talked to Suarez or they talked to Suarez. And so some of the rumors came from the fact that there was a conversation at some point. Um, but I think also, you know, it's a player of a really, really high profile at a time when MLS teams have just signed multiple players of a really high profile. And because of that, it leads to real belief that this is going to happen, that this is just the the way things are going right now. And I think that's what happened specifically with LAFC. You know, after Chiellini, after Gareth Bale, the idea that they would sign Suarez when they have an open DP spot, when there were already rumors out there that they were shopping Arango, that this would make sense. And so like there it, it didn't it, it didn't ring alarm bells of like there's no chance. Like with the Galaxy. The ga- after no. LAFC got yeah. smacked down they were like, "Oh, they he's actually talking to the Galaxy." Like, no, they don't have any DP spots. They have two forwards. Like you know that doesn't pass the smell test. Like LAFC did and that allowed it yeah. to like get crazy. Build some steam for sure. Um the other part of this and this happens all over the world. I think it's fair to say it happened with Jesse Lingard a month ago or however long ago that was where he was talking to what he was going to fly to the U S to meet with two different MLS teams or whatever. Was that the yeah, report? He was going to meet with, with some, M- some MLS teams flying, flying to the U S to meet with some MLS teams. 
uh, yeah. in considering a move. So, so a lot of times players and their representatives just put this out there because they know that MLS, the contracts for players like a Jesse Lingard or Luis Suarez are really high. And they know that they can maybe scare or create some leverage or do whatever that they need to do to try and get paid a little bit more elsewhere. Or, you know, maybe they can land a deal in MLS and maybe they'll end up taking it, right? It's not that there's no interest or anything like that, but all of this is part of kind of a broader game in that way. And this is something that we see in a lot of different sports. This is something we certainly see all the time in the transfer market where media gets, I don't know, I I guess used in, in a certain way. And that's something that I think you and I try and be vigilant on. A lot of people try and be vigilant on. Um, but it's an interesting part of this game, especially this time of year, the silly season, when so many different things are happening all of the time um, in regards to player movement. So I just kind of wanted to spend some time there and sort of peel back the curtain a little bit. And, and by the way, Paul, you know, to, to hop on a discussion that I think we had, was it last week where we were talking about the MLS free agents? Yeah. Alex Kyens, Aaron Long, you know, a lot of talk, I think maybe even on this show about, oh, someone should offer them a DP deal, right? Well, the free agency rules are such that you can't really offer those guys a huge raise if they're not, if, if you're not the team that they're on currently. Well, you can, so, you can, it's just, you can, yeah. you can, it's just not a huge raise. What? 15%. No, you can like offer that. above that. It's just that those, those salaries would then be subject to league approval under uh, those yeah. limits. The league can't, can't knock down the offer, but above it, the league can't. Right. So who knows if they'll be able to, to even offer those deals to those players. So it, that that's something to think about too. It's just kind of how we frame these things. Um, I don't know. It would have been interesting to see Suarez in MLS. One other wrinkle of this deal that would have been absolutely bananas. I'll put it like that. The PG version of what I was about to say. But it will be bana- It would have been bananas. Seattle had his discovery rights. They wouldn't have been able to offer him a DP spot. Their MLS has a procedure in place. I can't remember exactly what it's called. Discovery conflict resolution or something weird like that. LAFC, had they actually been in for Luis Suarez, they could have offered him a DP spot, which would have been his market value, so like so to speak. They're going to try and get his discovery rights in this hypothetical from the Sounders. The Sounders aren't doing well right now, but I think a lot of people, myself included, expect them to be in the conversation and in the playoffs and in a contender come this fall. So LAFC, they're the top dog, and you're asking the Sounders, hey, Give up the discovery rights to Luis Suarez. So the top dog, the team that you're chasing, that's trying to take you out as like this dynasty in MLS, can have one of the best strikers of his of this generation. Yeah. <laughs> and and you have to give it to them for fifty thousand dollars in GAM, which is what, what what is that these days? The equivalent to like a second round draft right. pick? Not it it just would have been a, another kind of silly. What you're what you're implying is they could have said no theoretically no i'm not implying that but like like imagine if they could have yeah the league would have frowned what if they could have held it hostage? that's the hard part i mean the, the all of these rules they exist and then they're but then at the top of the rules it says the league can change these rules based on its discretion at any time so literally none of these yeah. rules matter so yeah seattle technically could say no we made an offer for luis suarez we're not willing to deal his discovery rights and that's like technically what they can do in the rule book and then MLS could be like, yeah, too bad. You're getting $50,000 and its discovery rights are going to <laughs> maybe, maybe they would have made LAFC trade 75 k Yeah, right. It would have been like, you have to negotiate for it, but you have to move the rights, you know? 
And, yeah. and, but Sam, like, to peel back the curtain a little further and kind of go into like our business a little bit. You're right. Like it is silly season right now. There are a lot of agents trying to generate interest in their clients. There is, there are a lot of conversations happening behind the scenes. And, and so, you know, what is our job? I always say this, like part of your job as a journalist is to know that pretty much everyone you talk to, they have a reason for telling you what they're telling you, right? They, there's, there's, there's some sort of agenda there, just like you have a reason for why you want to write these things. And your Mm -hmm. job is to know, First of all, what is that agenda? What is that agenda? And is the the nugget still newsworthy? And if it's still newsworthy, then you report it. And 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 obviously yeah. that it's correct. Well, yeah, that's, that's And and idea. so, yeah. you know, you and I, we have a lot of fail-safes that we've put into place over years that we just try to call as many people as we can. Multiple sources on anything that we're reporting so that we feel extra confident that that what's out there is accurate. And, you know, over the, over time, yes, there's part of it that is just your gut and you can, you can sniff out whether something's wrong or right, or whether something's just a leverage point or not. But there are occasions when a leverage point is still true, you know, like, oh, there's a European team interested in this player. Well, that player happens to be renegotiating their contract with the team at the time, but there was an offer from a European team. That's still news. I'm going to report it. Well, you know, today I reported that there's a a Mexican midfielder, Omar Govea, coming back from Belgium on a free. And, you know, you hear you start hearing multiple teams interested. Well, call those teams. Ask if 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 there is interest there. You know, Professor Paul, here we are. I'm just you wanted to pull back the curtain. Those are some <laughs> yeah, of the no, things that you have to do. And, and it's I'm a terrible it's, friend. It's not Sorry. so different than what happened with Suarez. Right. It's just uh, yeah. people pay more attention to Suarez. Right. Because it's Luis Suarez, sure. but the 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 job is to to try to make those calls and see like, can you talk to people in the know and figure out is it real or is it not real, and then where do you determine whether it's newsworthy or not? And so you know this week yeah. the the example is Luis Suarez. Was it newsworthy that he wasn't going to LAFC? Yes, because it was becoming like a. People thought it was like fact that he was, was going to LAFC. It was a full blown you know? thing, yeah. And so once yeah. you determine that's newsworthy enough, you put it out there, and and that's kind of the, the part of this process. And it's it's fun, and it can be frustrating. I mean, I remember when I was in Orlando covering Orlando City. Wow, an Orlando after story. They, Never heard one of these before. After they signed Kaká, like after <laughs> they signed Kaká, every big name was going to sign with Orlando. Who was who was Robinho? That was there was actually truth. Robinho. Robinho. There was wow. truth. I remember tracking down Robinho's Robinho's agent. Wasn't Chicharito linked to Orlando? Chicharito. They they talked to. Yeah. I mean, there was there were so many. Basically, any older Brazilian was linked to Orlando City. Danny Alves was he ever? Linked? No, he at the time he was not old. Pumas his own. Um, Danny Alves. But you just eventually, I just gave up. I said I can't chase every one of these you just have to assume they're wrong and then you hope you're, you're right <laughs> well let's talk about that paul let's talk about giving up yeah yeah um i'm serious so like this has been a big discussion point between you yeah. and i for a long long yeah. time um I, I don't think we've ever really taken it public certainly not on this show maybe on other shows in the past but there's been a lot of talk in the press recently about Adam Schefter and some stories coming out about him and Adrian Wojnarowski and even one of our colleagues at the Athletic, Shams Charania, Shams Charania, um, all three, maybe the three biggest newsbreakers in American sports, yeah. I would say, 
Um, all three with super high profiles, all three incredible work ethics and at the very top of a field that frankly is exhausting. Um, we do this on a much, much smaller scale and both of us, frankly, have pulled back from it a little bit. Not that we don't break news. Um, but we're not out there, you know, tweeting things out at three in the morning, like, like Woj was about Jalen Brown and a KD trade that isn't even going to happen. But it was just like, hey, this was an offer that like the Celtics are in for Kevin Durant. And it's just like a very strange ecosystem. Um, and I think it's interesting. It's certainly, I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is too navel-gazy because it's, it's our lives or our careers. But I think it's just kind of a wild field. And I'd be curious actually to hear from anyone listening to this show about what they want. Because I think a lot of times, a story like a Suarez story, it's super interesting to follow, and it's fun. But this news, ultimately, like it's gonna come out a day later, or 10 minutes later, or however long after the fact. We're gonna know about it. And who really cares how it gets announced, or how you learn about it, whether it's from a tweet from one of us, or from Tom Bogert, or from Taylor Twelman, or from somebody else, or from a press release, or a tweet from a club account right? It's all the same at the end of the day. It's fun to follow it as it happens in real time, but how much value is that really to somebody consuming? I don't really know. I, I like, I, I do know that as a reporter, living that life is difficult. And I, I would kind of prefer to focus on the how or why that something happened or even the who someone is than kind of the what's going down and when it's going to happen. But I don't know. I'm just curious. I'm I'm kind of word vomiting. Yeah, I mean it's all part of it's all part of the job, right? Like when when we make phone calls, if you find out news, you break news. But there's certainly a difference in how you approach the job when you are when your main job is news breaking. And that's kind of what these run of stories has been about with with Schefter and and Shams and Woj and and the lifestyle that it requires, the commitment to be on the phone and constantly making phone calls and the difficulty of navigating a world where you you are potentially beholden to sources and how do you how do you manage that and yeah. um, what does that mean? And I, I think like, you know, I've talked about this with you privately, but, you know, it, it's hard to uh, to do it and balance life, you know, um, yeah. whether you are. You know, Sam, you're younger than I am. You're married, but you don't have kids yet. I'm a little older with kids. It doesn't matter. But I have a either dog, way, Paul. It doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> Lyle, either way. Don't erase Lyle. <laughs> yeah, it, it's still like, it doesn't matter because it's still filling every hour of your life. And so you have to decide, like, how capable are you um, or willing are you to fill those hours with work? Um, yeah. And... Look, I think um, I have enjoyed the adrenaline rush that comes with breaking a big story. Dude, it's like chemical. Yeah, it definitely is. It's like dopamine absolutely in your is. head. It's, it's an, and it's like an addiction it actually, almost. Yeah. It, you know, when you break a big, big story especially, there is that rush. It, I, the only other time I feel anything close to that is when you're writing like a big story on deadline, like a game story, and you have to get it done like – I wouldn't back, even compare. Back when I was back when I was at a newspaper and the deadline was like legit, legit, not like okay, like it was like you had to get this story done or there was a hole in the paper the next day, you know. And 
you know, I, I think back to like, yeah, covering UCF football in like five overtime games that season where the game turned on one play and you have to file the Blake story. Bortles? Blake Bortles, baby. Man. But wow. it, it it's real and it's exciting and it's invigorating and you get attention on Twitter and social media people and all that stuff and people in the league and all of that stuff is, is fun. It's great. But yeah, I mean, yeah. you and I both. We, and it's currency we, we, oh, 100%. in our world as well. It's huge currency yeah. in our world. I mean, again, as these stories allude to, I mean, Adam Schefter makes $9 million a year. I mean, there's value in that, a lot of value, more value in that than anything else. Um, but it's hard. It's hard and it's it's a commitment. It's a it's a lifestyle. Yeah. It's also, it's a blessing to get to do what we do. Sure. We're, we're not trying to like minimize that. There's just, you know, it's, it's very much a champagne problem that we have. But I think it's an interesting thing and people seem to be interested in it given given this glut of stories so if you're listening to this i'd be curious like like seriously hit me up i'll check twitter like once every four days at this point yes, um, but yeah, hit me unplugged up as part of this like i have i've unplugged um but hit me up and like tell me how much value you find in a story that goes behind the scenes and explain how something went down versus the real-time update of oh player x and team y are negotiating or team z is out all of those things. What what if you could get them all in one spot in an article at the end of it instead of during real time? Yeah. How do you how do you balance that as a consumer? I'm legitimately curious to know. So if you if you feel like hitting me up, hit me up. Yeah, and I, I think um, Sam. I mean, you know what our goal. I, I'll 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 speak for both of us here just because I feel confident oh. enough based on our conversations. Or like I think our goal when we came to the athletic and the model of the athletic was it appealing to us because it encouraged. Um, doing all of it. Like, yes, if you want to still break news, if news comes about, go for it. It's not the priority of the athletic, but we're yeah. interested in it. But take that news and take a breath over the next day or two and report the heck out of the deal. How did it happen? Yeah. How did it come together? Or, you know, tell me why this type of deal matters in this league. Is it is it a trend? Is it doing something different? You know, find those, and that that's appealing. It's fun. You still make those phone calls to people around the league. You still make those connections. Um, and I think, you know, part of my goal, um, you know, I've had a lot of life change over the last three years in multiple ways. And, um, you know, I will be covering our first World Cup, both of us, in November. So a lot of my attention is, is turned towards that. Um, but I think a big part of my goal coming out of the World Cup is is just to double down and and really push on that idea of finding the rhythms and the and the types of stories both breaking news and analysis of news that I did when I first got to the athletic when that was like that was the mandate and and I still think it is and um you know I think and I hope that that type of coverage that kind of tries to do it all um which means there's going to be less of one probably is is the best way to balance this job, which is like you said, um, a job that I feel very lucky to have that sends me around the world. It's going to send me to Qatar in November. Yeah. 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 So anyway, um, hopefully this was interesting to some people. We got a little, we got a little self-absorbed with that one. We are going to come back and we are going to be a little bit less, um, in our own heads. It's going to be a little less inside baseball, inside soccer. What's the, can we make an inside baseball soccer equivalent? Yeah. Inside the touch lines. A, st- a studs up challenge this is an off-air conversation stay with us we're going to come back and talk about mls expansion looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. I'm Sam Stayskull. He's Paul Tenorio. Uh, we gave you a little bit of a knuckle puck of a segment last time around. This one's going to be more in our wheelhouse. Uh, regular Slapshot style. MLS expansion. Paul, let's give a little bit of background here. Vegas has been presumptive team number 30 for, geez, it's got to be almost a year now, at least. Do I have that right? Yeah, I think that's yeah. pretty fair. Um, MLS commissioner Don Garber has been very public about Vegas and odds and all of that. Uh, he said in his preseason state of the league address, I don't know if they call it a state of the league address before the season, but that doesn't matter. He said that they hope to have something finalized in the first third of the year. That would be, you know, before the end of April, giving us many, many years before that team gets launched. The Vegas ownership group perspective ownership group is Wes Eden's, and Nasif Sawiris, um, Wes Edens owns the Milwaukee Bucks together with Sawiris. Edens owns Aston Villa in the Premier League, so they have that you know soccer knowledge. They have that sports knowledge. I think most people are very uh, bullish, positive, optimistic, happy with how the Bucks are run as an organization. And Edens and Sawiris have had some success with Villa as well, bringing them back up to the Premier League and having a decent season there before, you know, a more complicated last campaign. Um, they were apparently eyeing or reportedly eyeing a 110 acre stadium site located a couple miles South of the Vegas strip. That's according to the Las Vegas review journal, a report from October in 2021 with a target date of 2025, 26 is the ideal time frame to launch the team in a new facility. Garber did say in February that it's not fair to say that they're all but done. Expansion deals are complicated in any market and certainly going to a place that requires, in this case, a soccer-specific stadium. You have to be sure that everything is aligned in the community, everything is aligned with the building, a fan base, politically, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And certainly, quote, we've got to get a deal done with Wes and his partners, but we're making a lot of progress. We are now almost two-thirds of the way through 2022. There has been no further updates on las vegas there have been some updates on san diego which has been a contender for mls expansion slots in the past there was a report earlier this summer in the san diego union tribune that cited multiple sources inside and outside of the league that several billionaire-backed investment groups are pursuing an expansion franchise that could begin play at san diego state's university's snapdragon stadium which is a new college football stadium that also has the capabilities to host soccer games as early as 2024, quote, the group said to be furthest along is locally based. The others could go it alone or coalesce into a single bid. 
MLS, of course, is not expanded, not committed to expand beyond 30 teams. The next team that grants granted a bid would be the 30th team. Uh, but according to the Union Tribune again, that Garber did discuss the growing interest in San Diego at an owners meeting earlier this year, and local officials privately confirmed that they have been in regular contact with MLS HQ and even held preliminary lease talks for the use of Snapdragon Stadium, which will open next month. Um, also next month, another MLS owners meeting. I imagine, Paul, that this topic will be one of the bigger ones on the docket. What should we make of all this? What do you make of all of this? You know, Vegas, I think everyone in league included expected that to be sewn up and announced by now. And here we are a few months after Garber's target date, still uncertain. Yeah. I mean, I think my experience covering this league teaches me two things. One, some things take a long time to get done. DC United Stadium and some expansion deals. Being in Orlando, some things happen way faster than you think they are. Like Orlando getting an expansion franchise. Charlotte jumping the line with a big payment. One person I spoke to last year about MLS expansion put it to me like really bluntly. And he was just kind of like, yeah, things can change. And all it takes is a billionaire with a lot of money and a stadium and the right market for MLS to pivot and choose that market. That's all? That's all it takes, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, don't forget that, right? That, that's what he told me. Like, don't assume that somebody's a leader because all it takes is at the right time, the right person coming with everything lined up that MLS wants, a good market with a good demographics, a plan for a stadium, and a billionaire owner, and an offer to pay the expansion fee. It's happening. It's going to happen. Yeah. And I mean, shoot. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying I don't want to jump too far here and say San Diego State's going to jump over Las Vegas. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that, like, you know, that's how things work. It's not always like, oh, well, we've committed. This is the 30th team. We, we wanted it done by the first quarter. Therefore, we're not going to look or talk to anyone else until this is all wrapped up. Like, if if, if this is true and this, there's these these real groups that have legitimate money and a stadium plan in place and the stadium plan with San Diego State can be enticing where where they're not paying a lease and they have some access to the money that can be made there and the situation is right we know they've always liked San Diego as a market then yeah I could I could see it happening when they're ready to go but I I look at it and I think also you know there's still you know there's still questions that have to be answered with with both of these markets right San Diego State like what does that stadium deal look like and and how much money for does, a potential MLS? Yeah, team what what, yeah. what kind of money does MLS the MLS teams the MLS owners get out of the use of a stadium that's owned by San Diego State? And then with Las Vegas, like, what does the stadium deal look like? Where are they going to play? Yeah, uh, where are they going right. to play? Right, that's that's kind of the biggest one for them. Um, there are also some other markets that have been shouted out in the past. Phoenix being one. You know, the expectation that people I talk to that. Are, frankly are speculating they don't know but that their kind of expectation is oh it'll be 32 and it'll be those three vegas san diego and phoenix in some order or another um sacramento of course granted an mls expansion team before ron burkle now part of an ownership group in san diego <laughs> with nwsl uh, and the san diego wave bears mentioning um backed out at the last second 
um, and left that team in a lurch. Sacramento Republic, they're doing just fine in USL. Beat Sporting Kansas City in penalties in the U.S. Open Cup semis last night to advance to the final in September against Orlando, which will be a really cool occasion for that club um, that deserves some good things to happen to them, quite frankly, after that whole saga. Was that last year or was that 2020? I can't even remember. I think it was last year. They all bleed together. Um, so it's not just Vegas and San Diego, but I, I, Paul, I'm just fascinated by this, and I think we need to do some reporting here, but... Charlotte went for an expansion fee that's 325 or between 300 and 325, depending on who you talk to. That was a big jump from the previous one. And it enabled Charlotte, David Tepper, who kind of entered this game a little bit later than certain other cities, to kind of cut the line a little bit. That's how it's been framed to me and I believe to you as well. That is a huge amount of money for a league that has now just agreed to a 10-year TV deal (laughs) that isn't even going to pay that much in average annual value. A lot less, $250 million a year. So if I'm a prospective owner and I'm looking at it, and you know MLS is going to be shooting for more than 325 with their next expansion fee. Of course, they set the market. They want to continue to set that market at a higher number, understandably so. Do you balk at all at saying $350 million bucks just for just just to get in the door before I put a shovel on the ground on a stadium before I hire an employee before I sign a coach or a player. Like, do I really want to shell out a billion dollars for this business, which over the next 10 years, which to be fair, the time horizon for prospective ownership groups, it's more of a 50 year decision for some of these people. Um, but over the next 10 years, the revenue opportunities are somewhat limited. I don't know. Maybe that's a potential reason for the delay. I'm not sure. I'd be curious to find out more for sure. Maybe I'll make some phone calls on that front. But that sounds logical, no? Sure. I mean, of course it's going to factor in. I remember asking somebody, a source at MLS, like, would the um, price ever change? Like, could it come back down from what Charlotte did? And and there was a laugh on the other line. And, and it was, you know, the prices don't come back down. So... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's in today's economy yeah, with inflation. Right, right. No, I don't think no. it's happening. It'll be 500 million. So yeah, I mean, of course that's going to factor in you do the math and now we know what the TV deal was going to is versus a big question mark that it was and the, the hopeful numbers that were being thrown around. And um, yeah, I mean, all of these things factor in the same way MLS is considering every little angle of what markets they're looking at. I mean, they love Sacramento as a market. They really believed it could be a successful MLS market. Not everyone on the expansion committee, I'll I'll say. There were some people who were happy that the deal fell apart. I don't think anyone doubted that it could be a successful MLS market. It was just That's not the right word. But they felt that there were better markets than Sacramento. Yeah. But there were a lot of people who thought Sacramento was going to be a hugely successful Portland-like mid-market you know, for, for MLS. And, you know, we see the soccer success and the, they have the ingredients that have led to really good and successful expansion teams, a fan base that already exists. That's a lot of support there. What 100%. were they lacking? Not a ton they, of competition. They, were lacking the billionaire. they had the stadium plan. Yeah. They had the market MLS was happy with. And they, they, well, they had, they the, had billionaire. the billionaire and then they lost the billionaire. And then they didn't. Right? And that's, yeah. so that's all they've been missing. So again, it just goes to show how quickly things can change and all of the different things that factor in, you know, um, but I do think it's interesting that, you know, that there has been this kind of delay in, in getting an update on what, what is the 30th team? When are they coming on board? And, you know, will they go to 31 and 32? And I think most of us feel like that's an inevitability. Um, but how quickly do they want to expand? And 
you know, I don't want to go into this right now because it's a whole other topic, but maybe at some point, you know. It's been a weird show. You, maybe we'll do it. When you look at the league itself with 30 teams, and then we go to 32 teams, you talk about the talent pool and, and kind of what the league looks like, the quality from top to bottom of this league. Is that going to continue to, or continue to, is that going to dip? Is that going to, is it going to be harder or is the global market enough to sustain 32 teams in the United States um, under the current structure? I don't know. All depends on how much you want to pay. Um, I think it is enough if you want to pay enough, right? So we'll see. Uh, I do think it'll get to 32. I think you agree with that. Do you think Vegas, San Diego, and Phoenix are the right plays for this league? Yeah, I do. I think, I think that those markets make the most sense. Um, in terms of the demographics, the uh, geographic area that MLS should be focused on expanding to, um, the the types of players they can reach. The the one question I would have is Vegas, but you know they've shown that. Why? I, I just feel like uh, it's a it's a small city. Um, it's you know you're not necessarily like crazily expanding your footprint. Um, but it is a, a vitally important part of the current sports infrastructure in this country because sports betting is legal now and they've been successful with their NHL team. They have an NFL team now. Like the, you want to be a part of a, of a market that's that's starting to kind of... Believe the Raiders, by the way, had the highest average ticket price yeah. in the NFL last year. Yeah, I mean, there's money to be made there, partnerships to be made. Um, you want to be present in the minds of the, the decision makers in a, in a market like that. Um, so I get it. I just think, but do I think those are the three best markets at the end of the day? Yes, I do. I, I also, you know, this is just total personal bias. Like I have friends who live in Sacramento who were, you know, they really believed it would become like a Portland Timbers in Sacramento. And I I don't doubt that one bit. So I feel bad for that market. But, you know, if you're asking me, would you, you think it'd be better to have a team in Sacramento or San Diego from a business standpoint, from a growth standpoint, I'd say San Diego. Yeah. Carver had an interesting quote regarding market size because Vegas would be the smallest market in the league. I believe it's 40th um, in terms of TV. Uh, But he said market size in the future of media is probably going to be less important than market engagement. So we're thinking about, and it's an interesting part of what we do, where is the future growth and opportunity happening in North America? And where do we think MLS can be successful? What are the demographics in that community? What's the corporate base in that community? What's the international appeal in that community? And what's the likelihood of getting the right stadium? in the light, right location. I think Vegas makes sense in a lot of those ways. Certainly the international appeal, uh, the demographics are good there. Same with Phoenix. Um, you know, Phoenix is a big market and, and they don't have a team. Uh, they have the USL club, Phoenix rising. Um, I think the questions there are more related, well, to stadium for sure, but also to who, who the owner would be. Um, and then San Diego, you, you have a stadium potential solution. It's kind of what the ownership group looks like. Uh, if they can figure that out, I think they're basically a shoe in. And I do think that all three of those markets make sense. You would then get into the, uh, you know, you'd get into the conference realignment game again, which would be kind of funny. I think I was just looking at the, at the standings to see, see how you'd do it. And I think what, what would happen is obviously those three teams would be in the West. If you're sticking with a two conference model, and Nashville and St. Louis would both be in the East, and then you would have sixteen. And both. I don't know that you'd stay but, with conferences when you're that big. 
Or maybe you'd go to three. Maybe you go to four. Mm-hmm. Maybe you do NFL yeah, style. I think, with I think divisions. you could see divisions or yeah, you could I, I think it would change the way that the competition is structured when you get up that high. Listen, it would involve maps and I love maps. <laughs> so I'd be for it. <laughs> I'm a big map guy, Paul. Um it would also, you know, this is this is a close to home thing for me but it would you know there's a little there's still a little bit of a hole in the midwest in some ways i guess less so now now that st louis is coming in and cincinnati and columbia yeah i take it back but you know no love for detroit so that has been an expansion candidate in the past dan gilbert was rumored to be in that who knows things can change as paul was talking about so maybe that can come back around. Things can change. But I did reach out to them last year during the expansion thing and uh, the kind of re-up of where, where is expansion going. And it was a, a very quite firm. Uh, Who's them? The the Detroit ownership group. And the response okay. was, was quite clearly, we are no longer looking to bring MLS to uh, Detroit. So. Well, d- did you get a sense for why? Well, you know, their plan had been around that jail site where they were going to build the stadium. And then they decided they didn't want to put the yeah. stadium there. They were going to pair up with the Ford family and put it at Ford field. And they started making yeah, other plans for the jail a... site. And when you, you know, that once you start moving on with how you're going to make money with the site and you see the money that can be made there, I'm guessing that probably had a pretty big impact. Yep. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, MLS expansion, we'll find out more later, <laughs> perhaps soon that MLS owners meeting. Uh, we expect that to happen. It's, I believe, scheduled. Yeah, I think I believe it's happen. supposed to happen next week, in the, either the, the day game before the day of the All Star game. Yeah, so so I would expect that to be on the agenda there, and perhaps we can find something out coming out of that. Maybe Garber will uh, give a little news nugget at halftime of the All Star game, as he tends to do sometimes at some of these events. Stay tuned on that front. Stay tuned to the show. We will be back. We'll be talking Josie Altador. We'll be talking Champo. That's right, English Championship. Um, we'll be talking some other things as well. Allocation disorder. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Talking to USMNT strikers. Paul, one has been in the news today, uh, although it's a little bit generous to say that he's part of the USMNT. He has not had a cap in three years. Um, I'm speaking, of course, of Josie Altidore, who is moving on loan from the New England Revolution to Puebla in Liga Amakis. This is kind of cool. I'm kind of into it. I don't know. He wasn't getting playing time with the Revs. It's been a struggle for him in MLS for two and a half years now, dating back to his last two seasons in Toronto, this season with the Revs, 17 games, just one goal in regular season action, only four starts. Obviously, he was behind Adam Buxa before he moved to France, um, but hasn't really been getting a ton of time even since then. You know, they played a game at NYCFC recently. He was 
visibly frustrated by not coming in. Uh, he wants to play, and he, according to people that I've spoken to, still is trying to get on this World Cup squad. Uh, Puebla, their striker, Fernando Aristigueta, Philly Union I was legend. Say, former Union legend, the Ginge. Yeah. Ooh, I love um, it. Venezuelan. Uh, he just broke his leg in training last week. He is their starting striker, was their starting striker. He's going to be out for six to eight months. So Josie's going to have a chance at, at a real run of games down there. If he can get hot, who knows, man? Maybe he can work his way hey, into the man, picture. There are two, <laughs> what a crazy there thing. There are two positions with this national team that I am not putting anyone out. Like if you are playing anywhere and playing well, you have a chance. That's forward, the number nine, and center back. I'm not counting anyone out of those two positions in these months leading up to the World Cup. All right. So do you think Josie could really add value to the U.S. team? You know, obviously you're going to have to be playing well on the field. He's going to have to do a lot, I think, having not been in this group at all during qualifying and Nations League before that. But do you think the veteran presence, I mean, do you think that's a thing? Am I grasping for no, straws I mean, of course here? It's a thing. World Cup knowledge and experience would matter. But yeah, I mean, I think considering Josie's role or lack of role in this team over these years... I think that he would have to I think he'd have to score a lot of goals in Mexico to get involved. But if he does, I think you bring him in in September, he's friends with guys that are on the team. He's been I think you've seen on social media vocal um about the team and the players. I think that's that's been to try to stay connected to to this team and these players to give himself the best mm-hmm. shot to be a part of the team if he if he can find his form. Um, I, again, at that position, I don't think you have the luxury to think about things like chemistry when you have a position that's so vital and where no one's really grabbed the job. And right now your starting striker is Jesus Ferreira, and that's not to knock him, but the reality is he's an unproven option and you're going to a World Cup. Yeah, an unproven option, by the way, who's gone a bit cold in Major League Soccer. Hasn't been scoring goals like he was over the first couple of months of the season. Um, Ricardo Pepe, of course, an option up there. We'll see how he does in his first full season at Augsburg. We know how the first half season went. Not good. Um, Greg Berhalter, he went on Football Americas, Americas, excuse me, with Herc Gomez, uh, who went to Puebla and got hot and made a World Cup team back in 2010. <laughs> um, and Sevi Salazar, a couple of weeks ago, he also kind of shouted out Jordan Pifak, um, who made a move of his own this summer, Giassi Zardis, Josh Sargent, um, as other potential candidates. Uh, you know, they asked him specifically about physical profiles because Jesus Ferreira is not the biggest guy. Um, and if, the, you know, he could change who might play based on a matchup for for strikers. And Berhalter basically said it could. Um, and, and, you know... It, it could he, he left it there but but it's essentially yeah it was it was a fairly straightforward answer i don't know where i'm going with this paul i need some help throw me a lifeline yeah um, i mean no i'm just kidding but josie altador can do a number of different things he certainly has the physical profile in a way that a lot of guys in the pool don't have there are some that I think, do i think Josie's best profile is that he could, has scored goals for the national team and greg berhalter called him a hall of famer like on that show that we we're just talking he did. about he called him a hall of famer he, no one else in the pool and has he done said that. no one he said no one in the pool is at the level that josie was right earlier in his and so yeah if josie right finds that level then you bring him back in but i mean i I'll say I'm going to be watching a lot of English championship this season because I think that Daryl DK and Josh oh, Sargent yeah. 
are two guys who can find that level and could be players who break Daryl DK is the one for me. Yeah, I think, I think both of them. It's going to be really interesting to watch. Steve Bruce has been talking him up kind of all summer for West Brom. He's in a little bit of a battle uh, for the starting number nine role. Obviously, he had an injury right after he moved to England last season that was unfortunate and prevented him from really doing much of anything uh, for West Brom. But he'll have the option this summer or this this season to get on the field. He'll have the opportunity. He scored a goal on Saturday in a friendly against Hertha Berlin, um, which is obviously positive for him. Get a little confidence going. Championship starts this weekend, so he'll have an opportunity right out of the gates. We'll see if he gets on the field. We'll see if he can start scoring goals. But you talk about a guy with the physical profile. DK certainly has that. He can get up there. He can, he can bang around. He scored a ton of goals in the championship with Barnsley when he had his short-term loan there last year. Uh, I'm really, really intrigued by thing by him. I think if he stays healthy, he'll do pretty well. And I think I kind of like his odds to make this. Team. Yeah, I mean, when I think of the bigger target strikers that we saw through qualifying, guys who come in late in games or play in games where the U.S. was going to be more direct, I like Daryl DK more than I like Pifok. I like Daryl DK more than I like the current form of Jossie Zardes. Um I, I think he is a player who has a high ceiling that we haven't seen him hit yet. Um, but I also think Josh Sargent is a player who I who can he when he was young and and confident he played well he played good soccer he connected and then he just lost it and you know his his presence in front of goal dipped significantly um, his ability to combine and find the right spaces in the right moments I thought suffered. And, you know, he he wasn't able to find somewhere to be comfortable, not with Norwich last year, where he was playing as a winger that mostly defended, or even with the national team, where he also, at one point, played as a winger in that game in Honduras, um, was which was bad. not wonderful to watch. <laughs> and I believe he got yanked at yeah, halftime and, I as mean, well. And it's not, even his, it's not his position. And, no. But I... I I just think about when I first saw Sergeant break onto the scene and some of the things that he did really well were things that, that Berhalter likes about guys like Jesus Ferreira, the ability to drop into the pockets and, and um, play the runners off of you, I thought is was one of Sergeant's strengths early on. And so, you know, I'm interested to see, he, he started a game at the beginning of the preseason and, you know, had a shot that was saved, pushed off the crossbar that was then tucked into an empty net but he's, you know, he hasn't started consistently in preseason. He's come off the bench here and there. They still have Timu Puki. You know, is he going to go back like he did a couple years ago and score like 30 goals in the championship? And it gets hard to take him off the field. I mean, like probably, right? right? Like he's got a good track record yeah, in that he's, league. He's got a decent track record in the Premier yeah, League. So it's a tough place for Sargent. But it, it's if you're a USMNT fan, you're tuning in because you've got those two and you've got Zach Steffen and Ethan Horvath who are, you know, trying to make sure that they stay in the picture and for may- jobs. Maybe Matthew Hoppy before and maybe long. Matthew Hoppy, who is always fun to watch. Cert- never boring, no. that one. Uh, Haji Wright, of course, another candidate for the U.S. at number nine. We've spoken about him on previous shows. We don't need to go too far, but he's still the permanent move in Turkey as well. So a lot of moving parts. Paul, I feel like we've been having this discussion for the better part of a year because we have. And nothing has sorted itself out. So we'll learn one way or another over the next, geez, three months, basically, until the World Cup roster gets named, or close, three and a half. Uh, we're getting there, folks. Are we at 100 days? We're getting close, man. It, it's, it's, you know, Sam, we're having flashbacks here to Robbie Finley and Connor Casey and Herc Gomez 
being you know in contention for spots. Brian Ching for the 2010 World Cup. Yeah. Uh, Brian Ching did not go. Connor Casey no. did not go. Edson Buttle went. Robbie Finley and went, Gomez. and Edson Buttle went, yeah. and Her Gomez went. Um, and I think it's a similar situation. I think you're going to be looking for guys who are in good form and deciding off of that. Um, very yeah. interesting. Uh, I have a Robbie Finley story that maybe I'll share another time. <laughs> you would get so angry at me if I did that on this podcast. You would yell at me. I just well, want to make yeah. You would tell I it wrong. Make probably it clear that if I so. said I had a story and then didn't tell the story in the podcast, you would yell at me. And so I'm going to yell at you, and that's how we're going to end the show. I can't believe you, Sam. I can't believe you do that to our. This listeners. is yelling. Yeah, this is yelling on a podcast. Wow. You can't yell too loudly. People are listening to this thing. Uh, wow. Well, okay. Well, your tone was you, your heart was not in that. Oh, I, I mean everything uh, I said. I cannot believe that you would bring up a story and then be like, "Oh, maybe I'll tell you guys later." I don't know. With that note, <laughs> this has been Allocation Disorder signing off.